in the book of James, it says that we all face temptation. It also says, don't say it came from God. It says temptation comes from our own desires. That's James chapter 1, verse 14. James chapter 1, verse 5 also says, if a man needs wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who will give it to him without reproach. That means you don't have to qualify for it. You simply ask the Lord. And the same is true in dealing with temptation. Every single one of us is tempted. Every man faces temptation. Jesus faced temptation, right? So what do we do with it? And what do we do with the temptation of porn? The guest today, our friend, Dr. Cameron Staley. And I love the title because it's sort of, um, if you will, a double uh, way of looking at it. He says, a new way to look at porn. (laughs) So I thought... Well, that's a funny title, but it's a TEDx talk that he gave. And I was so taken by it when I saw it, uh, DM'd him, got a hold of him, and I got a hold of some of his materials. And I thought, man, this guy has got it nailed. And uh, so this is a great conversation on dealing with temptation and the temptation of um, unwanted um, sexual temptation. He's got, he's got a great phrase. Uh, he talks about it as uh, unwanted sexual or unwanted porn viewing, unwanted porn viewership. That's how he says it. And uh, so Dr. Staley, the beauty of this is uh, in dealing with porn and the things that tempt us as men is that when you approach it from a legal or a law standpoint or a man, I'm just I'm just going to crush this thing. What happens is you find out how weak you are. When you approach it from a grace place, you find out how strong he is. And that's the difference. And the, the beauty of it in approaching it from a grace place, as Dr. Staley does, is that he, there's no condemnation. He, he just, this, this is a great conversation. You're absolutely going to love this. Did this a couple days ago. Now we've finally got it onto the uh, podcast uh, for discipleship, discipling men, uh, for everything you need in your church, parish, wherever you may be, anywhere in the world, go to cmn.men. That's Christian Men's Network. ChristianMensNetwork.com or CMN.men get you to the same place. We have tools and materials now in over 50 languages because of the Dangerous Nations uh, outreach and uh, the generosity of so many friends who have given into that. And so moving into countries we've never been in before and uh, helping undergird and helping encourage and equip the underground church around the world. Hey, let's get right into this. I want to thank you for being a brave man today. You made a good choice. And make sure you tell somebody else about this particular podcast. There's a place on there to click like, uh, to click follow so you don't miss anything. The one with, that we just had with Rod Jones, the ones we've had with Chad Hennings, uh, Benjamin Watson, right on down the list. Absolutely fantastic teaching, ministry, encouragement, inspiration, and you're going to love it. Hey, listen to this right now. Dr. Cameron Staley on Brave Men. It's Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Wisdom and courage for the journey. I'm talking with Cameron Staley, and Cameron Staley is a clinical psychologist who has uh, become an avid uh, proponent of getting men healed, <laughs> and everybody. But for us with brave men, it's about, it's about reaching men, helping men get mentored. And uh, you said something in, uh, you did a, a uh, TED talk called Changing the Narrative Around the Addiction Story. And you said something, you said, it may not be addictive, talking about uh, another phrase, I'm going to get into this, unwanted porn viewing. So it may not be addictive, but it is contagious and it is an epidemic. Hmm. And uh, what are you finding right now in terms of mental health, particularly where we live in the United States, which is indicative of really men around the world? Where do you find a mental health on men and pornography and how it all kind of dovetails in your work? Yeah, I think we're at this interesting place in the States where there's a lot more awareness around mm-hmm. mental health and stigma for help seeking is going down. So there's a lot more conversation, which I think is really good and promising. But I would say the sophistication around those conversations is still pretty low. So our understanding about how mental health works and what treatments are effective is is still pretty early in our national conversation. 
And I think we're, we're missing something. So when it comes to like sexuality, we're pretty far behind in sexual health, just mm. like we are with uh, mental health. And often what I've seen is people often, and definitely men, rarely get sexual education yeah. until they start to struggle with a sexual problem. So we don't, we, don't, we don't deal with it until they're actually getting drunk. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of our medical models. We're not going to intervene until there's a problem. We're not going to do preventative care. We're not going to do education. We're not going to worry about stress management. We'll wait till there's an anxiety disorder or diabetes or a heart issue. And it's the same thing as sexual health. That It's often men's first meaningful conversations about sexuality are after they've been struggling with pornography mm. for a really long time. Mm. And that's unfortunate that that's often the pathway to learn about sexuality and develop better values and, and behaviors after we have a problem. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, for me, the issue with pornography in, in a lot of ways, isn't just the, this image. And I want to get into this uh, shame and guilt and all these things. But for me, one of the biggest issues is uh, if a guy's going to marry my daughter and his whole viewpoint of sexuality and how you treat a woman is something he learned from, uh, you know, it, and I guess in one sense, you can say a lot of things are pornographic. Uh, it's like that, that old thing about, I don't know how to describe it, but I know it when I see it, mm. you know? Uh, but if that's how he learned it from those things, I, I'm, I'm concerned about is how he's going to treat my daughter. Yeah. Right. I mean, isn't that kind of like the baseline of where we're living in our culture today? And I think that's an important point that, Pornography is not sexual education. It yeah. does not model intimacy, consent, conversations, bodies, none of that. Um, so that should not be the source of education around sexual behavior and relationships. Yeah. But if we're not having those chats with our children or having those conversations like in this podcast or at a larger level, unfortunately, a lot of people believe that, oh, what I'm viewing in these films is an accurate representation of sexuality and relationships. And it is not, that is not the intention behind that. Well, you know, we know that, that these things like, like pornography and particularly now that it's online, it's not that there hasn't been, I mean, you can go back to the cave drawings and you can see pornographic images. Yeah. Go back to the statues of Greece, go back to the uh, drawings in China, right? And you, I mean, 4,000, 5,000 years ago. So we're dealing with some of the same stuff in that sense, because it's built into to mankind, but it feels like it's just gotten so pervasive, yeah. you know, with the amplification of online. And when, when you deal with that, and I want to use another phrase, and, and I want to mention uh, Dr. Cameron Staley, and you do a, you a TED Talk, and the TED Talk is TEDx Talk. So I guess you can probably go on TED or something like that. I just found out by putting your name in, you know, a search bar, Dr. Cameron Staley, S-T-A-L-E-Y, and up came that TED Talk. And it is, it's really powerful. It's it, you know, obviously very well rehearsed. You don't get up there without, right? Oh, that was like the scariest thing I've ever done. I know. You can't have a script. You got to memorize it. It's going to be on TED forever. I sweat through a couple of shirts before I gave that TED Talk. <laughs> Yeah, your wife probably just laid hands on you and prayed over you. It's like, God. that would have been nice. <laughs> because you go, you did that one thing where you go, put your hand on your heart, and and uh, you know, and I want to get into what the definition of mindfulness is. But come to come to where you are right now. What are you feeling? And so the first time you did it, you go, okay, what are you feeling right now? Because you just done a little introduction, and you said, well, I'll tell you what I'm feeling. I'm nervous. <laughs> Great. It's a great line. Is, is, uh, is pornography addictive? And I think that is the question we've been trying to answer for decades. Yeah. And I think it's actually not the most important question. Okay, good. So there's been a review probably published in the last year that looked at the last 25 years of research on sex addiction, porn addiction, and there's probably been three, 400 studies in the last 25 years. Wow. And most of them have been trying to answer that question. Is pornography an addiction? 
is there sex addiction? And you see a handful of studies that say, yep, here's evidence for, and a bunch of studies that say, no, here's evidence against. But then when you look at how many studies have examined what treatments are effective for reducing pornography mm-hmm. or sexual addiction in general, there was less than 10. Wow. In 25 years. Wow. And so when you think about the most common language you use around porn is, oh, it's an addiction. And there's a lot of addiction-based treatments out there. There's a total of zero research studies investigating that approach being an effective treatment for reducing porn. Wow. And that is, that is yeah. shocking to me. Yeah. That's like the studies that came out a number of years ago. Uh, there's an educational book. I forget the title of it right now. but And, and they went through all the different things of helping young men. And one of the things they said that they found that absolutely didn't work was the uh, scared straight programs. Yeah. And they, in fact, what they said was the, the bringing the ex-cons in and talking to them, don't, don't end up in jail. And don't, they were such compelling men that the young men said, dude, I want to be like that. Guy. <laughs> oh no. Right. It's like, it's like a reverse thing. Yeah. So if we're not dealing with it in one sense as an addiction, we still have to deal with it as a sexual health issue. Yes. And how do you do that effectively? Yeah, that's the good news is we're, we're, we're not waiting for, oh, what treatments are helpful for reducing this unwanted behavior? And we already have kind of answered that question. It's just not that well known. Mm. So of those handful of studies that looked at what treatments are actually helpful, when you look at ones that were just focused on pornography, there were only three studies And they were all based on the same treatment and that's called acceptance and commitment therapy. And that's been around for over 40 years. There's over 800 randomized clinical trials on act. And they found that for people that have been struggling with pornography for years and decades, on average, after just 12 sessions of act, they were able to reduce their viewing by over 90%. Wow. And that's incredible. We're we're not waiting to figure out how do we help people. We kind of have that answer. The bigger challenge is we're still kind of lost in that. Is this an addiction or not? And the good news is it's kind of irrelevant if Mm -hmm. pornography is an addiction or not, because we already have a treatment that's effective, regardless of is it addicting or not. And so for me, I do want to shift more into let's start to implement the principles and skills that are going to help kind of address the underlying reasons why people do struggle with pornography. Yeah, because the for me, the, the again, as I mentioned, the issue with pornography, I wouldn't want the guy who's, um, who's fully engaged in it marrying my daughter. But, but the other thing is, for men that I've talked to over the years, uh, personal experience, it, it causes us to make decisions based on the belief of who we are Mm. out of whatever that may be shame guilt isolation yeah uh now we feel unqualified so in essence we end up not mentoring our sons or daughters you know or children we end up because we're like dude i'm I'm unqualified because i've got this issue so now they may not end up with the same issue but they're being unmentored yeah and then the other thing I see is guys just don't make good decisions. We, it's like, a, a, you know, this thing we have now with COVID, COVID fog, where people mm. have this long-term kind of issue with trying to make clear, rational, you know, thinking. Uh, I, I find men, you know, they get isolated, right? Their thinking changes, yep. right? And so um, that seems to be, to me, in one sense, and we know why pornography is there because people make money. Yeah. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Uh, that industry just chews people up. Right. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, not a victimless crime. So what does ACT do? So ACT is really addressing the underlying reasons why somebody might be struggling with a compulsive behavior And it's even broader than that. So Mm -hmm. we've pretty much over the years determined what underlies all mental health struggles. 
which is amazing that there's something that unifies this. And it's the same thing that underlies depression, anxiety, PTSD, wow. eating disorders, you name it. And it's something we call experiential avoidance. So humans are so good at avoiding things they don't want in, the, yeah, in their environment, yeah. Yeah, in the outside good. world. You can avoid, you know, walking along a cliff or people that you don't like. We can avoid all those things. And now humans start to avoid things internally. And that's experiential avoidance. We can start to try to avoid uncomfortable thoughts or emotions or sexual urges or discomfort. And humans are really practiced at trying to get away from discomfort all of the time. Mm. And we do a lot of things to accomplish that. We might eat food. That's my favorite go-to is I snack even when I'm not hungry because I'm stressed or I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I go to the pantry yeah. and shut the door because I feel bad about it, but I'm going to be snacking on my Oreos. Or people go online and they, they game or they scroll through social media or they shop or they drink or they use substances or they look at sexual images. All of those strategies are fairly interchangeable wow. and they're all in the service of disconnecting from ourselves and our relationships and our emotions and the world around us. And that's what you mentioned, Paul, that you've seen these men become disconnected and isolated mm -hmm. yeah. and that's problematic. And it's always because we're trying to move away from discomfort and viewing sexual images is just another way that we can do that. Wow. Okay. So now what that does is that begins to frame it for me so that I can actually deal with it. Right. That's it. It's the frame. And so we've been talking about porn struggles as an addiction for a long time. That doesn't actually give us a meaningful path to move forward. But if we frame this as, oh, this is just an unhelpful coping strategy mm -hmm. to, to manage distress. Oh, I get that. It's not that I'm a terrible person or choosing to rebel against God, or I have this addiction. Like, I, I don't want people to embody that identity. I want people to retain their identity as, as children of God or disciples of Christ or a husband or a parent, things that are value-based. Like you mentioned, when we start to see ourselves as, as an addict, we start to behave in ways that are consistent with that identity. Wow. I don't want people to take that on. I, I want us to retain our true identity as, as children of a loving God. That, you know, you said something in that TED talk, you said the belief of being an addict actually drives up the amount of viewing. Yeah. That, that was a stunning comment to me. Yep. It's like, because one of the things we do is, like you mentioned in that uh, TED talk, you talked about somebody preaching and saying, hey, you're doing this, you're wrong, and this is lustful, and this is this, and you start feeling like, oh, well, crap, I'm an addict. Yep. And, and then you, you begin to feel like, well, I don't know what to do about it. And then it drives this shame syndrome, if you will. Yep. You know, uh, just a quick definition on that. And, and I want you to help correct this. But, but my simple definition of guilt and shame is that guilt is is knowing you did something wrong. The reality facing reality. I did something wrong. Uh, I. The shame part is I am the thing that's wrong. Yes. Right? I am the problem. Guilt, I have a problem. Shame, I am the problem. Yep. And for me, this uh, experiential avoidance, uh, dealing with stress, loneliness, different things, and we go to uh, something like pornography, and we begin to not just feel guilt about doing it, we begin to feel shame. Yep. And shame is a killer. Yes. Destroyed. That's well said. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, you, you nailed that. So guilt is when I, I made a mistake. Guilt is motivating to change a behavior where shame is I'm the mistake. And shame is really a, a powerful universal emotion mm. that is trying to protect us. And it says, wow, really? let's withdraw from the world. Let's disconnect from people. You cannot be seen. Put your head down, withdraw, disconnect. And I think about that is so different from the Savior's message yeah. of hope and redemption. And every time I, I visualize my Savior, his arms are stretched out. And he's like, Cameron, get up, buddy. Like, dust it off. Let's go. Let's learn about this. Let's move forward. And shame is the opposite where, oh, you know, Christ's love for me doesn't apply anymore. Yeah. And he doesn't want me anymore. 
and maybe I should just keep withdrawing. And so really shame is trying to protect us, but it is demotivating. Yeah. But it shows up when the only narrative we have around sexuality is it's sinful, it's bad, it's dangerous. And if we can't fight against the threat or run away from it, our only option is to collapse and kind of play possum. That's our last defense strategy. And we kind of implode where it's like, I can't actually fight against my sexuality or run away from it. It, It's just is there. And so when we start to see this and recognize that, wow, that addiction label is actually scaring me and trying to make me fight against myself and sexuality Mm -hmm. is divine. That's not the problem. Fighting against it is quite problematic. When we let go of that struggle, people can overcome pornography within weeks. It doesn't have to be a years long, lifelong battle. It's the frame we put it in that keeps us stuck. Wow. Man, that is so good. John 10.10 says, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, but I've come to give you life and life more abundant. And for me, sometimes we look at that, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, talking about the enemy. Um, and sometimes we look at it as a, a black and white issue, like, like it's a war a battle with, with swords and, and one guy's going to get killed. I look at more at it as, at it as distraction. Yeah. That, that the little distraction, the little thing that kind of pulls you a half a bubble off can just sort of nullify everything you were really trying to do. Yeah. Because distraction breeds disqualification. If anybody was going to be disqualified, it would have been this guy in the Bible called Jonah. <laughs> right? I mean, Jonah had this relationship with God where they actually talked to each other. Yeah. And God said, I think it would be a great idea to go to Nineveh and talk to those people. It's a real city. Actually, really was there. 150 years, the most uh, wealthiest city in the face of the earth. And and Jonah and God says to Jonah, you need to go there. It's like 150,000 pirates that live there. Like, right? They were bad guys, bandits and pirates. And Jonah says to God, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> like, I mean, think about it. Think about if you were God, you go, excuse me, hello? I'm God, <laughs> and you're out. If anybody would be disqualified, it'd be Jonah. And yet, when Jonah runs from God and becomes suicidal, and jumps off a ship in the middle of a storm, God has already sent a fish to swallow him to save his life. Yeah. Right? So that's the grace of God. So for every one of us that feels like, in that sense, a suicidal uh, motivation of, man, I'm done with it all. I'm out of everything. I'm disqualified from being a husband. I'm just, I'm bailing. God has sent a place of restoration. And that's who you are. Like you're the whale. <laughs> no, I know it's the grace of God, but you know what I'm saying. I and love that. Yeah. Guys like you yeah. to, to bring us to this place of healing. How do I start into that? Yeah. I love that. And that's so well said. And I think what has kind of captured my heart around this struggle is I typically work with Christian individuals that are struggling with pornography. Mm-hmm. And initially I thought, well, that seems strange. Like usually Christian people are taught that, you know, you should keep sexuality within the bounds of marriage. Why would people be looking at porn? That didn't make a lot of sense. And then I started to realize that some of the traits that these individuals possessed were things like they were quite sensitive and quite mm-hmm. caring and had a really strong desire to be obedient They could quote scriptures left and right. They were very faithful, but it was kind of beyond that. And there's another term in psychology called scrupulosity, where it is kind of a religious OCD, where there's a really intense focus on right and wrong and morality. And some of these verses in the scriptures are pretty torturous for some individuals, Hmm. where it's like, it's not only don't commit adultery, but don't even look at somebody else to lust after them or It's not that don't kill your neighbor, don't even have angry feelings towards them, or you'll be condemned. And I can read those and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, focus on your heart and your intentions. But for other folks, those messages hit and are really painful, where it's like, oh, I've had sexual thoughts, or I've had angry feelings. Oh, no. Like, I am no longer worthy for the kingdom, or Christ's sacrifice doesn't apply to me. And so I've seen that some of these messages impact 
some faithful folks differently. And so part of this is recognizing, you know, what is it that's driving this behavior? And so for all of us, we, we're all going to engage in activities to avoid discomfort. That's true for all of us. Okay, sure. But, but then we have some people that have really strong kind of rigid moral views about themselves where I can't have any unclean thoughts. And if I have any, that's distressing. And we've learned that the more we try to resist thoughts and feelings and urges, it actually amplifies them hmm. and makes them much stronger. So it's kind of like trying to hold a beach ball under the water. The yeah. more we do that, the more it pushes back. And so that amplification gets so strong and the hopelessness and despair is so strong. People turn to behaviors to cope with that distress. And often that is engaging in viewing pornography and masturbating to soothe yourself from the struggle. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I've seen is a lot of people, when they have these sexual urges, it, it brings this uncertainty where it's like, I don't know how God views me in this moment. Oh yeah. Am yeah. I committing sin? It's kind yeah. of ambiguous. Yeah. I'm not sure that's uncomfortable. If I view porn and masturbate, I know I committed sin and I feel better. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, there's like this un intolerance for uncertainty. <laughs> and so a lot of what I do is to try to help people see themselves in this pattern a little bit more clearly. And the reality is for most of the folks I work with, and it's mostly men, and I have worked with women as well, is the reason why people are struggling with pornography and trying to overcome it is because it's coming from a really meaningful place that I want to live with my life with integrity yeah. and I want to follow God's commandments yeah. to such a degree that it's distressing and I can't tolerate that. So I'm returning to that coping strategy to feel better. Yeah. You know, that's, um, I was talking with a friend of mine, Mike Rosas about this and, and uh, I, I feel like, you know, I was talking with some men last night that were over at my house and we were talking a lot of general conversation. We got into some specifics about the next generation. And my concern was uh, we're risk avoidance as a culture. Where, where everything has to be safe. Yeah. You know, uh, I was, I said jokingly, I said, dude, you know, kids don't get broken arms anymore. <laughs> when I was a kid, everybody had a broken arm. <laughs> yeah. Like half the kids in my class would have a cast at one point or another, at yep. least the young men, right? Because we were out doing stuff. And now it's no, 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 it's a safety thing. And I understand kind of what drives that. But, but my, my deal is we're in such a performative, uh, matrix as a culture that as a Christian, I've taken the word excellent because I want to live with excellence and I've transposed it into perfection. Yes. And the center of transposition, if you will, uh, is that I've taken that thing and I've said, I, I want to be excellent, but I, what I'm thinking is I want to be perfect. Yep. And perfection is a flat is a thing of the flesh. It's a, it, it's a basis out of lust. And uh, excellence is based in love. Yeah. And I think when what you're talking about, for me, as I hear you and watched your stuff and, and looked at your papers, and you've written a number of papers, uh, talking with Cameron Staley, Dr. Cameron Staley, S-T-A-L-E-Y. If you put that in, you'll find his TED Talk and some other things, and it'll be instructive and helpful for you. But as I, as I hear these things, I hear this, uh, you know, you're qualified because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I don't have to try. You know, when Paul said to Timothy, work out your salvation, it, yep. it wasn't like a, you know, grunting every moment. It was basically, do the stuff you know to do. Yeah. Do the stuff you know to do right. And when you mess up, the Bible says over and over and over, my grace is sufficient. Yep. And, and when you fall down, you know, you get back up. Yep. Right. And now I've demystified the porn thing, the pornography deal. And I, I totally get it, man. I had a guy, I remember uh, he was telling me, he said, you know, for, for him, pornography was the only place he felt good about himself. Yes. Because he had, he had found out that his, his mom was a prostitute. He hadn't known that. He'd grown up with a single dad. And his dad had told him, you know, she left. Turned out that his dad was a client of the prostitute mm. and wasn't even actually his dad. But he didn't know that until he was 17 years old. Wow. 
So now I, when he did, when he told me all that, I go, okay, well then I get it. I get why you would go there. But then the thing is, uh, it, it screwed up a bunch of his relationships. And you, you mentioned a couple of things about intimacy, consent, all these deals. Uh, tell me about mindfulness. How does ACT and mindfulness go together, Dr. Staley? How do we, Cameron, how do we move towards this place of really accessing the grace of God? Yeah, let's do it. And that's the core part of ACT is mindfulness. I just want to say one thing on you. What, yeah. Add one thing on what you said about the risk well, fix aversion. It. Fix it. What do you mean is fix it? No, I want to add to it. You, you are right on. And so one thing I've helped people when they take this perspective that yeah. instead of battling this addiction, yeah. really viewing pornography is playing it safe. Wow. So when you're viewing pornography, it requires no risk. There's no vulnerability. There's no true connection. For me, it's about the equivalent of eating a candy bar. It's kind of empty calories. It might taste good and feel good. Wow. It's not sustaining. It didn't yeah. take any preparation. There's, there's really no risk. And so a lot of people do view porn for a sense of connection and to have a sexual experience, but there's absolutely no risk. Mm. And so when they say, well, I'm a porn addict, that's why I can't date, or that's why I can't mentor other people, or why I can't, can't connect with yeah. others. Say, whoa, 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 you're actually playing it safe by calling yourself an addict. I actually want you to take more risks in your life. Wow. And start to interact with people and have true connections. And that does require vulnerability. Yeah. But viewing porn and calling yourself an addict is playing it safe. Wow. Wow. That's that. Wow. That really puts it in a different place. Tell me. So finish up the comments on ACT and mindfulness. Yeah. So the mindfulness part. So what we found, one of the most common traits we see with folks that struggle with compulsive behaviors is they score low on levels of mindfulness. So they are less aware of their emotions than the general population. Oh. And this is really key. So emotions, if you break down the word, it just means to put in motion. Hmm. That is the purpose of emotion. They organize us for action. And so if you're not even aware of what you're feeling, they're organizing you for action, often in directions you don't want to go. Because your brain's and always working. Always working. Synapses and all this stuff connecting you. What a trillion sort of connections a day. Yep. Stuff's always moving. It's always going. And, and often if, we are, if we don't come to a reality about it, we just kind of float through life, which is where I think yep. most guys are. That's it. We're on autopilot. And, and most men live up here. And I do. I, I love my thoughts. I love thinking. I love ideas. Yeah. I don't like feeling stuff. Wow. But the emotions is what's driving this. Mm. And so what we found is if we can help people increase awareness of their emotions, it's typically an emotion that precedes an urge to view porn. And that's what's missed with, oh, I got an addiction. It's the porn. It's like, actually, there's emotions there that we don't want to attend to. Wow. We don't want to fill. I'm calling myself an addict. Actually, I'm just giving myself an out. Exactly. I'm not responsible for this. Yeah, I'm not responsible. It's not my fault. And my job is to actually make uh, people more response able to increase uh, their responsibility. That so good. It, it, you don't choose your thoughts, emotions, or urges, but your behaviors are 100% in your control. And to facilitate that, we need to have awareness of our thoughts, emotions, and urges. And so when you notice an urge, that allows you to disobey it. When you do not notice an urge, it's calling the shots. So I think about like technology in my phone. Yeah. I have urges to check my phone a lot where it's like, oh, I wonder if I have a message. Maybe I should check my email. And when I'm not paying attention, I pull my phone out of my pocket. I'm scrolling. And and I've also yeah, noticed and on date night with your wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just reflexive. But I've, I've noticed that I can notice an urge. Oh, I have an urge to look at my phone. Interesting. I can there, therefore choose to look at my phone or put it down. If you become mindful about it. If you're aware of it. Yeah. Wow. That is the key. And that is what unlocks agency, oh, which is one of our most precious God-given gifts. Agency. Is our ability to choose. And when we believe we're an addict, we're basically relinquishing our agency. And I would say, no, no, no. We need to choose this. We need to choose to live a godly life and a Christ-like life. And to do that, it requires awareness of What's our body doing? What are our thoughts at? Where are our urges? And when we have that awareness, we can then make decisions that are consistent with our values.
So good. What is, how does, uh, one of the things that Jesus did on a regular basis, it says he got away and prayed. Yeah. Which is fascinating to me. Why would he have to pray and who's he praying to? You know, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> why, why couldn't he just take 30 seconds and go, Father, you think of what I'm thinking? Yeah. <laughs> basically, both thinking the same thing. Yep. Um, and yet he got away and prayed. Uh, what's, what's the power in that? And why is that important for us in mindfulness? That's it. And I think it's about slowing down. Mm. And I think about one of my favorite godlike traits is omnipresence. It's being present. And as humans, we are so time bound. We're so in a rush and there's so much urgency and we got to fix things yesterday and have things figured out for tomorrow. But I think about God in eternity is, is not rushed. Mm. It is not bound by that. And when we can connect with that place, we get this perspective of what's really important. And we let go of these, we got to fix these problems agenda and we can truly see people. And they've actually messed with this in experiments around like the Good Samaritan, really? where they've set up scenarios where they've done this on a college campus where people uh, were hurt or needed help. But this person just got a notification that they were late for an exam. And when they were late for an exam, they walked by everybody. When they had plenty of time, they actually stopped and helped people. They saw that. It's, it's I, not I, that I, we're I, just... Trying to remember, I, I did read that. I read that. It was fascinating to me. So it's that time piece that's really quite relevant. When we slow down, we can listen to the Spirit. We can receive revelation. Yeah. We can connect with that grace, that love of God. When we're in that urgency, we miss all of that. So a lot of this is, is tuning in to ourselves and God. And that is what helps gives us some clarity and perspective on where we want to go. You know, too many of us wake up in the morning as men and uh, we wake up urgent from the moment we wake up. Yep. And uh, there is, uh, I understand you can pray at different times and you can pray while you're driving your car. I tell guys all the time, it still counts. Yeah. But there, there's something about that early in the morning moment. Mm -hmm. I have a, a friend, a couple of friends who, when they wake up, they lay in their bed for 15 minutes and thank God for their breath. And they begin to rehearse the things and lessons of God. Yeah. So 15 minutes of then they get up and then they go about and do devotions. And you hear about that. I remember Coach McCartney a number of years ago, he got up in, at a meeting and he said to all the men that were present, he said, how many of you would like an extra 180 hours every year? Everybody's like, dude, that's like a week. Yes. <laughs> And he said, get, get up a half hour earlier every day. And they're all like, but dude, that's it. That's the practice. My pastor, Phil Pringle, gets up at 5 a.m. every morning, no matter where he is, anywhere in the world. He's been practicing that for 42 years or something. And it has changed the way he constructed his life, how he, uh, decisions he makes, he, he talks about it. And he talks about having helped other people do that. There's something about that. Yep. I believe what Dr. Staley, what prayer does is it strips away the inconsequential. Yeah. And it takes those things that are meaningless that we get so distracted with. And if you'll actually stay there, my deal is I always have something to write with. I've got a pen in my hand right now. I'm writing down notes of things you're talking about. So when I begin to pray and something comes up, I write it down Yeah, and I get rid of it. And then I'll stay there. And my, my thing is, if we'll stay there in a time of prayer, I have another friend who uh, ended up being CEO of a massive uh, multinational corporation. And what he did every morning, he would go into his office at 7 a.m. And he had, he had doubled up secretaries. So he had somebody there at 6 in the morning at a secretarial desk. And then they'd be there until 4 or whatever. And then he had another one that stayed later on that same desk, get stuff done. But he would take every morning at 9 a.m., his door would shut. And from 9 to 9.45, his desk was clear, and he had a piece of paper, and he would think. And he was ask God for wisdom. Yeah. Say, Lord, what is it that I need to know that I don't know? Yeah. Right? What do I don't know? You know, and he just <sighs> dial that down. And so the word of God, you know, getting in the Bible, that does the same thing. Would you agree with that? Is that, are there studies on that? Absolutely. And I would just echo everything you shared. And that is mindfulness. And mm -hmm. often we, 
have these beliefs where I'm not going to sit and meditate or I'm not going to count my breaths. It doesn't have to be a formal practice. It can be that it's opening up and connecting. And I think you're right. The most of the folks I work with that struggle with porn, they are so driven and they're going so fast and they're so busy. And that's part of the issue. And so when we talk about, you know, I just, this week, I just want you to kind of notice your emotions. And they say, I'm not going to do that. Give me some amazing thing to do. And I think about Naaman in the Old Testament with leprosy and he appeals to the prophet and the servant says, you know, go dip in the water seven times, you'll be clean. And he's like, nah, too simple. And the servant's like, well, if he told you to do some amazing thing, you'd do it. Go dip in the water. And he was clean. And it's the same process where it's like, I just invite you to slow down, check in with yourself, notice what you're feeling. And it's like, I'm not going to do this too simple because our mind wants a more complicated answer. It's got to be an addiction. It's got to be all these amazing things that I got to work on. And it may be as simple as you need to slow down and listen. And as we do that, we let go of some of these things that maybe are not as big a deal. Mm. And we do refocus on building this life that really matters. And that's act. It's letting go of these unnecessary struggles and focusing on your values of connection and spirituality and your relationships and your ministering and your education, your physical health. Yeah. And often we neglect all those as we're trying to fix problems. Mm. And sometimes those problems will go away when we live a better life. That's the shift. That is so good. And part of that, I find, you know, working out, doing things like that makes my mind clearer. Yes. You know, uh, and you'll live longer. There was a study just came out uh, in the UK about people who walk and not just stroll. I'm talking about that they walk four times a week, like seriously walk for 30 minutes. And I think the study was something like they live on average 14 or 15 years longer. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, that right there is a gift to your grandkids. Yep. Right. Just getting out and walking. And I don't care where you are in the world at some level, you can do that. And maybe you have to go to a club and get on a treadmill, uh, whatever the case is, but, but get your body active. So that you're thinking so that all of these chemicals, you know, that are flying around epinephrine, dopamine and oxytocin and all these things are flying all through your body. So they're actually becoming healthy Yeah. and, and then read something healthy, you know, grab a, grab a book that I don't, you know, here's the deal too often. We go, Hey, grab a book that helps change your mind. You know, like I've got a, book, uh, I've got a stack of books in front of me for my doctorate program reading red skies. And so, man, I just challenging. But at the same time, I read a novel, you know, and that just kind of helped me dial down. Yeah. You know, Teddy Roosevelt read a book a week while he was president. Isn't that amazing? Those goofy little little glasses that he wore. (laughs) Couldn't hardly see. Read a book a week. Every night before he went to sleep, he would sit for a half hour and read in that book. Just those little practices, right? That's it. You you used a phrase, and I want to hit this unwanted porn viewing unwanted pornography viewing define that yeah i think there's there's lots of ways to talk about it some people talk about as problematic pornography viewing or people just viewing sexual images what i've seen is the most of folks i work with they're viewing pornography and they don't want to Mm. And we don't need to necessarily put a pathological label on it, that it's an addiction or it's a compulsion. Mm. For me, it's an unwanted behavior. Okay. And that takes kind of the power out of it or the judgment where it's like, oh my gosh, I got some disorder. It's like, no, this is an unwanted coping strategy. You know, how else could we respond to these emotions or how else would you like to use your time? And as we take the power out of it, it it doesn't have the same pull. Yeah. It's It's an unwanted behavior unwanted point uh yeah it could be it's to me it's sort of like um it's an unwanted porn thing that's happening and then what i would add to it for me is and the enemy's trying to take me out and distract me from my mission yes right yeah for me focus isn't about greater intensity and for most of us as men we think okay i'm gonna focus i'm gonna focus and it comes back to that prayer thing um Vision is forged in a discipline to extract yourself from the unnecessary. Yeah. The focus isn't about greater intensity. It's about greater intentionality. Yep. 
And man, there are so many things in our lives that we just need to cut out. We just like, you know, yeah, don't do that and yeah. do something healthy. We do so many unhealthy things. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like, we all talk about, man, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time, but I binge watched uh, Netflix last <laughs> Saturday. Dude, you don't have enough time, but you just watched 14 episodes. Do you know how long that takes? Yep. Right. And that's a healthier outlook to recognize there's lots of activities we can engage in. And if we view those as, but they are, that's my time. How would I like to spend my time? Right. Viewing those episodes doesn't mean you're addicted to, to the office or your favorite show. It's a leisure activity. Mm. And it doesn't make it bad or sinful necessarily, but it may not be the best use of your time. Yeah. And it may not lead you closer to your relationships or to God. And so with that mindset, it kind of takes the power out of pornography. And it's like, you know, I could eat that candy bar, but it, it kind of is a waste of time. And it's not helping me connect with a higher source or my partner or helping me move forward in my life. How else would I like to use my body and my abilities and my talents? You uh, talked about in your TED Talk, I'm talking with Dr. Cameron Staley, S-T-A-L-E-Y, and you can look up his name under, uh, and then you did a TED Talk. And I keep coming back to that. I know you're a clinical psychologist. You've worked up there in Idaho for a decade. You've written a number of research publications with, with other people and, and, uh, and all of this pushing uh, emotional and sexual health and really helping us understand. So thank you for actually, this is a, writing a paper and you've got a number of papers done. This is like a friend of mine says, he says it's like giving blood. You know, it's, it is, uh, it is, it's hard work, it's effort. So thank you for taking the pain, Dr. Saley, for helping us to be more uh, mindful of who we are, for finding our design as men in God's great creation. And you said something, you said, let's move from addiction, isolation, and fear to hope, connection, and understanding. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's fantastic. And uh, is, there, is there something I haven't asked you? I mean, you're the expert. Is there something I haven't asked you that we need to hit right now in this particular podcast? No, I think we covered so much of this. I, I, I want people to maybe take a moment, maybe a self-compassion moment or a kindness moment that if you've been struggling with pornography and trying to get this right, we lose sight of that that the reason why we're struggling is because we actually do care about doing what's right. Yeah. And we do want to follow the commandments and live with integrity. And often we think about, Oh, because I've struggled with porn, it means there's something really bad with or wrong or sinful about me. But the fact that you're struggling is you're trying to get this right. And we've, we've got approaches that are helpful. So I've tried to package acceptance and commitment therapy in really accessible ways so I just launched the Life After Pornography Coach app that you can get on your smartphone that has all these act principles where you can learn these things. You can improve your awareness of emotions. There's a built-in community where you wow. can connect with other people that are working on this together. And it's not shame-based. It's not based on addiction. Yeah. It's based on ACT, which is the only research-supported treatment that we have and then I also put together an online program called Life After Pornography. It's all self-directed, and it's basically 10 weeks of videos of me talking about ACT and these principles and giving you practical skills to implement in your own life. Because as you mentioned, it's the practices that matter. There's not a trick that overcomes this. You actually have to eat better and sleep better and exercise better and be more aware it's the practices that really matter. It, it really so, is. It's like, it's like, how did I gain 20 pounds? Well, because <laughs> I ate. You ate. So yep. very few guys can say, well, I've got a medical problem. That's about 1%. But for the 99 other percent of us, we didn't work out and we ate too much. That's it. You know, and so, you know, it's, and that's mindfulness, just being serious about it. So now you've also got, it's on uh, YouTube, the Life After series, uh, Dr. Cameron Staley, Life After Pornography, Introduction to Life After. And then you've got tools on your, on your website. Man, this is great stuff. Thanks for, thank you. I mean, really for all of us as men, yeah. uh, for doing what you've done to make this happen. 
And uh, thank you for taking the time to be on Brave Men today. And uh, an outreach ministry of Christian Men's Networking, you find tools for discipling and mentoring men at cmn.men. That's Christian Men's Network, cmn.men. You won't find it at cnn.com, but you'll <laughs> find it at cmn.men. And uh, Dr. Saley, it has been a pleasure meeting you, bro, and uh, hearing your passion about helping people towards emotional health and uh, to wholeness in life. And, and we pray over you and your family, uh, blessings and favor. And I pray great increase. I pray that, that there'll be literally tens of thousands of men on this YouTube channel and uh, getting your tools and materials. Uh, Dr. Cameron Staley, S-T-A-L-E-Y. Just put that in the search bar, go on YouTube, find it there. Uh, there's all kinds of tools. And let's get ourselves uh, to the place we want to be, which is healthy and mindful and uh, living the design God designed us to be, living as God's man, living as a follower of Christ in reality and truth and loving kindness. And I love this, the phrase I wrote it down, self-compassion. I love that whole thing, you know, because that's, we have compassion for others and then we kill ourselves. And that's my favorite teaching when I think about Christ boils it down so well. It's the great commandments are love God, love our neighbor as ourself. And we forget mm -hmm. that part that the better we take care of ourselves allows us to love our neighbors and love God. And sometimes we neglect that and we are our worst critic and the most judgmental. And that keeps us stuck with these unwanted behaviors, but taking better care of ourselves really unlocks our potential to be an instrument in God's hands. Yeah, we are. We're really critical of ourselves and we're also master negotiators with ourselves. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, five cookies, no big deal. Well, I already did five. I'll do five more Oreos. Because <laughs> then that's an even 10. Yep. And I did five anyway. So five more is not going to make any difference. So, you know, it's, we are master negotiators and mindfulness, being aware in the reality. Yep. That's why the word of God is so important because the word of God unlocks reality in our hearts and minds and spirits. And Jesus talks so often about our hearts. Yeah. He talked about, uh, you know, uh, and then Proverbs 4, out of your heart comes your life. Yeah. Those things you put in is what's going to come out. And so uh, thank you, Dr. Staley, for uh, uh, blazing a path for us, for us to become the man that God designed us to be and the man we desired us to be. God bless you, bro. Well, thank you, Paul. It was an honor to be with you. And, and thank you so much for that blessing. That was so touching. You've just experienced Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Paul is president of the Christian Men's Network. Connect with Paul at cmn.men or write to him at paul at cmn.men. <laughs>